In this episode, we're sitting down and talking to my mama, Andrea Arlington. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast, you guys. We're diving into just my childhood and a little bit into Pretty Wild and a lot into how do you recover as a family after your loved one gets sober and how you can be the very best shot at your loved one maintaining sobriety, which is such a huge part. I think that people don't really talk about that very often. Like as a family member, your loved one goes and gets the help that they need. And obviously, unfortunately, the statistics about that person staying sober are very low. But if you have a family member or family members that start to get better and healthy themselves, that goes up substantially. And I'm really grateful that when I was a couple years sober, my mom dove into her own personal journey of recovery and really started to have some huge eye-opening experiences that humbled her and allowed her to start seeking Um, help for herself. And as a result, our relationship has gotten so much better. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. She is just such a gem and I hope you guys love this episode. Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering From Reality. Mama, mama, mama. Today, my mama is on the podcast. Hi. Hi. Welcome. It's fun to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I think that this is going to be a great episode. I think that um, so many people are curious, like how, okay, so obviously I got sober and, um, but the family was still kind of like a shit show and like, how did we get here? Right. So many people are interested in that. But before we get into like sobriety, I want to backtrack to kind of, you know, like what Gabby and I were like growing up in test two and your kind of your perspective. You know what I mean? That's a really good question. What I remember about you was that you were a very gentle soul. You were a little bit shy and apprehensive of exploring new things as opposed to Gabby, who was like, let me at it, right? I'll be the guinea pig. I'll do it. I'll I'll go for it. And then Tess was the instigator for everything. And you two just followed her like <laughs> like little baby chickens. She was the cool big sis. You know what I mean? Like she she was the the leader of the pack. Well, yes. And she was always um, mischievous in her leading of the pack. I would say mostly mischievous. Um, I think it's probably because she didn't have a sibling to explore the world with, and there were probably lots of things she wanted to do and never 
did because there was nobody to do it with because she was a single child in her family of origin. And so coming into our world was like, oh my gosh, now I get to go play and these guys are going to do whatever I want to do. I think I think part of it is our personalities, like our innate personalities. Like you are born and you kind of, you're just, you are who you are. And then part of it is the trauma and is the chaos and things that were already going on. So I feel like while, yes, I am more of an introvert as a person, I was more shut down as a kid because of my trauma. Sure. And then Gabby, who didn't face this trauma that I did, was already kind of like this she's definitely an extrovert she was she was outgoing i can you know we have funny stories gabby we call gabby gabby because she gabs you know what i mean she has she was she's given the perfect name she came out gabbing yeah i I knew that was supposed to be her name for sure (laughs) yeah so she comes out she's always talking she's always hilarious she's always cracking jokes um and so that's very much so her personality. And then with Tess, she was definitely, and you know, she was the only child up until she kind of started spending time and, and joining into like our little family here. And um, I think the mischievous boundary pushing was kind of like a call for attention in mm-hmm. a way. Well, I, I think you're right. Um, and her mother was very much somebody who also pushed the boundaries and was, mm. yeah, a lot like Tess. Yeah. <laughs> Tess is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, um, we, a little backstory. So why don't you tell people how, how you met Tracy and, and oh Tess's gosh. mom <laughs> and what, what age we were and kind of how we okay. became a little, a little family. So I used to see this dad show up every week with this beautiful little blonde girl who was probably three and a half, four years old at the time. She's like three. Because I was two and a half, three. Yes. Yeah, she's just like a year that. older than I am. Right. Yeah. But, and Gabby so was, was in the little. stroller. Yeah. Gabby was still in the stroller. And I would watch this dad, and he was there every day. At dance class. At dance class. And we would watch our little girls danced together through this huge bay window. And there was a lot of moms that were there and watching their kids. And then one day he's not there. And there's this gorgeous, beautiful, sexy, blonde woman standing in the bay window with these extravagant, long fingernails and an armful of jeweled, bangled bracelets and just... Oh my gosh. And this, these lips that were just huge. And I remember she used to always have that one tool in her purse and she would pull it out and she'd plop it on her lips and she'd pump him. And <laughs> oh my God, I didn't know that. Tracy's yes. such a trip. Oh my God. She would make okay. her lips so big. It was just, it was, it's what we did. We didn't have, you know, I mean, some people like their lips big. Yeah. They weren't doing injections mm-hmm. back then that I'm aware of. But anyway, I remember her standing next to this beautiful, larger woman, and and she was talking, though, about how her husband was going to be so mad because she had just joined a dating service because her fiancé was cheating on her with his former girlfriend. So she was married, she had a fiancé, and she had just joined a dating service. And I was like, who is this woman, you know? And then it... 
it appears that that's, that's Tess's mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. The next time I saw her, and I could go into more detail, but I think I'll pass at this point. <laughs> yeah. But I remember one time I saw her at a, at a little Italian restaurant in our neighborhood and she had a neck brace on and she was wearing this beautiful buttercream suit. She looked amazing. And um, I said to her, are you okay? And I don't think she recognized me or remembered me, but I invited her to come to church with me, and that was the beginning of our relationship because she was, at that time, really needing connection and a spiritual foundation. And I, so we became fast friends. She was my alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom, so a little bit of backstory about this this situation, though. My dad had been having an affair on my mom and left us. I was about a little over three and Gabby was like 18 months or two years old, right? You were, you were actually about four. Okay. Yeah. So I was almost four. Gabby's like two and a half. We're like two years apart. And my mom, so my mom's world is kind of crashing down and here comes this like project. (laughs) Tracy was the, my mom loves projects. We can get more into that later. (laughs) She loves to fix people. It's part of her problem. Um, Not anymore. Not anymore. It's getting better. For sure. Yeah. And so Tracy was like a project and, um, and she loved Tess too. And so they would come over and I remember my, that you and Tracy would be in the garage, like making jewelry or beating pillows or whatever. We were the craft moms. Yes. But smoking Smoking pot and drinking red wine. And And the kids were like running around in the house. Naked. Naked, like maniacs. Painting their, each other. Yes. Yeah, it, there was just <laughs> talk about like a free spirit, kind of oh no boundaries. Gosh. Yeah. And so, and then we all had our little dynamics. And so Tess was like the leader, like I said, and I was a little bit more quiet and the follower. And then Gabby was like the comedian who just made light of like every single situation. And that was kind of our dynamic. And it was very fascinating. <laughs> and it was fun and funny. And, Yes. And there was a part of me that was just dying to have that kind of playtime because I had been living in a very dysfunctional marriage for five and a half years with somebody who was an extreme, well, he was suffering from substance use disorder and sex use disorder and a lot of other disorders. And I was, I had turned into this critical a condemning woman who wasn't having any fun. I had quit drinking and quit smoking weed before I had the kids. And part of, part of it was because somebody had to be sober in that relationship. And obviously it wasn't going to be him. So I had to get sober and get serious. And then when I met Tracy, it was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And we were a, an incredible balance for each other. I was in ministerial classes at the time and, and she was um, struggling with stuff, and but a lot of fun. And it was an interesting ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Um, you poor I want <laughs> to talk to you about dating as a single woman with kids mm-hmm. and like what that, what your thoughts were about that. And then I'll share mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, so, Look, 
I was not into dating. I wanted to get married because I did not have, I barely had a high school education and the only income I had ever made was in front of the camera as a model. And at 30 some odd years old, that wasn't going to happen again. So I was looking for a spouse, somebody could help me raise my kids, but also to help me be financially stable. And so it wasn't about dating and the, you know, the protocols for dating. I knew what the protocols were for dating. Do not introduce (laughs) your children to any man that you did not think was going to be permanently in their life. And did I go with that? No, (laughs) because I was looking for a husband. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, I need help with these crazy kids of mine. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it wasn't even that, though. I mean, that was probably my excuse. But let's face it. I was so I had no self-esteem other than I knew I was an attractive person. And I really didn't know how I was going to survive. I, this was like I was operating from my fight-flight mechanism of my brain. And I think a lot of single moms are. Yeah. If they, especially if they don't have a, ho- a college education and a career going before the divorce takes place. Yeah. So um, you did that for like every relationship except for Jerry, who then would become my stepdad because we met Jerry like when you guys were already on the path of, because I remember, so my mom would have these relationships with men that I would just fall in love with, fall in love with their kids, with who they were. I just would love them. And I remember just, the devastation of when you were dating Danny and you guys broke up and I just cried. I must have cried for days. I don't yeah, blame you. It was so hard. He I was loved amazing. him so much. Yeah. I loved him too. Yeah. It's hard. It, it was, was heartbreaking for me too. Just because I would have thought I thought he would have been an amazing daddy for you guys. Yeah. And then fast forward to Jerry, then you guys kind of were already on the path of when Jerry came into the picture, first of all, I was already so shut down at that point from meeting and falling in love with so many from, first of all, not having a father that was in my life or when he was in my life, it was pure chaos. And then we, when we started date, like actually when, by the time Jerry came around, I was so shut down. I was just like, not again. And I remember one of the first times I met him, if not the first time I met him, we had Thanksgiving at his house. And I know he was trying, but I was just kind of already like, no, I'm not doing this again. I think I must have been 10 at that point, 10 or 11. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm just not really willing. And my dad had gotten remarried and I fell in love with that woman and then they got divorced. So like it was constantly like there was just no steady attachment and um and then because of that and so gabby took to him really quickly i don't think that she really had the uh not intelligence isn't the right word because she was just younger so it just didn't phase her she's just a love and she wants to connect with everybody mm-hmm. yeah I think that, you know, I'm a love addict and I think Gabby is too, to some Mm. degree. And I I don't say that with like, I'm not trying to polarize anybody that, you know, we, we get our self-worth and our self-esteem and feeling good by being loved and we do whatever we can to get loved. And that's, you know, sort of similar to what somebody who suffers from substance use disorder does too. And I think your dad is a love addict. Yeah. I don't think I'm a love addict. I don't think so. No. Which is weird. 
actually think I'm afraid of love, kind of. Just, I don't know. Weird. So, Gabby, so this, this, so this family unit happens. I remember that you guys picked me up from my friend's house. I was sleeping over at this girl Tiana's house. You picked me up, and you're like, we're engaged. And I remember thinking, like, oh, fuck, no. Like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, because... The dynam the dynamic that was never spoken about and that carried through until your divorce. What was that? Five years ago? Six years ago? Five years ago? Five, five and a half years ago? Yeah. When well, we separated Jerry, in July of 2013. Yeah. So when you and Jerry finally um, separated, so the dynamic was kind of that I was the problem child and. Gabby, Gabby was the easy one, you know, like that's kind of how I felt like that Jerry and I didn't connect and that I was too much work. Like, I don't think when he signed up to be a step parent, he really understood what being a parent was going to look like and that he just thought it would be easy and that the child support for my dad would keep rolling in and, and that he wouldn't have to really take care of the kids so much. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that for me, for, in my perspective, is that I was seen as like the problem well, and I didn't make things easy. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of that is just because I fell into a pattern of focusing on what was wrong with everybody else and not looking at what was wrong with me. And I'm not saying wrong in terms of like a shaming thing, but. I was not responding in a way that a parent should respond to what was right in front of me. Yeah. I was it was easier for me to fault find with your behavior than it was for me to find, ask myself what do I need to do to help yeah. myself be a better parent. And you didn't see what I was doing as a cry for help but as a behavioral issue. Right. And looking back, I can see that it, it was definitely a cry for help. And yeah. Were there any signs that you think that you saw that I had been sexually abused? None at all. Even when the abuser was around after the abuse had ended, and I didn't even know that it had ever happened, the interaction that I saw, there was nothing strange or at all that I could tell when he was around. Mm. Um, and it was uh, very f- few times. It was, yes, it was only on holidays. Um, mm. and, and there was an excitement about him coming, not necessarily from you, but from your father who would also attend those holidays and Gabby. Um, and yeah, it was, very odd, very weird. But knowing more about that dynamic now because of what you went through and learning more about how the abusers work their way into that position and how they develop deep trust with the those that they abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and manipulation, and it's called grooming. Grooming, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot. It's not just with sexual abusers either. I mean, people who are violent criminals are often those who will volunteer to help you pump your gas at the gas station or help you take your groceries into your apartment. Um, and 
yeah, it's they groom you. That's for sure. Today's episode was brought to you by Osea Malibu. You guys know that I love Osea. It's not just because their products are super natural and clean and have no harsh ingredients in them, but it's because when I use their products, I literally feel like I'm in a spa. I kid you not. They smell so good. I just love their white algae mask and their oil control blemish lotion. It absolutely has changed the way that my skin looks. And I also use that, um, the oil control blemish lotion underneath my makeup and it just keeps my complexion looking so good throughout the day. My makeup always stays perfect and I just love it. I'm so grateful for them sponsoring the Recovering From Reality podcast. I love the whole team over there and you guys can now go to Venice and get facials um, at Osea Malibu. They opened a cute little spa there where you can go and have your skin evaluated and they will talk to you about all of your skincare needs. So check them out um, at Osea Malibu. Thanks guys. So, you know, obviously there's like tons of chaos and we, we end up getting the show and our lives are falling apart. <laughs> and I definitely want to, well, we can jump into that and then go back to uh, what early sobriety was like for me and our relationship and dynamic and things like that. Um, uh, but uh, so let's go back to pretty wild. A lot of people want to know, like, do you, do you regret it? Yes, I do. I do regret it because I, That's a really hard question, actually. There's parts of me that regrets it, for sure. My intention for that show was, as the producers had presented it to me in the first place, which was to be an opportunity to teach the power of positive thinking and the way our thoughts attract to us whatever it is that that we are intending for them to attract to us. What I didn't realize is that at the same time, our unexplored thoughts are also attracting to us as well. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what took over during the show. Yeah, I think that so manifestation right now is like a hot topic thing. Like everybody's talking about manifestation and there's no doubt about it that we absolutely manifested that show. I mean, every morning. So because so Tess was never going to graduate. She was in an alternative high school. I graduated early by dropping out of traditional high school and moving into homeschooling. And then Gabby was also in homeschooling. And so Tess and I really were like, well, we're going to become models like we don't want to go to college. We don't really have any direction in life. We want to party because at this point we were already on drugs and using substances and things like that. And you didn't know that at the time. I mean, you knew that we were partying, but you didn't know to the degree that we were partying. And so, um, but every day we would say this affirmation. I don't remember. How did it go? Well, it was, you guys came to me and said, we know that affirmations work because you used to use them to accomplish stuff in the film and entertainment industry. But but aside from that, listen how amazing this is, you guys. My mom wanted this house, okay? This was like, we were just living on, no, we weren't on food stamps yet. We wanted this, (laughs) 
We we wanted this house. My mom drove by, took pictures of the house, did a walkthrough of the house, imagined herself in the house, did a vision board of this house. There was like six offers in on this house. We couldn't even barely afford the house. And somehow she manifested that house for us. Like I always knew that, that the power of your mind is, can be used as a tool to attract things into your life. And so we would do this manifestation. That was something like, it was like a page long, but the brief version, mom. Okay. So, um, I am now working and, and having fun in the entertainment industry, creating upwards of $200,000 a year and giving back to the world through helping other people building shelters and schools for single moms and their children. That was something along those lines. Yeah, it was like, okay, here's our intention. Here's the amount of money we want to manifest. Here's how we want to help people. Because at the end of the day, like people love to villainize us and to make us look like we're just shallow, crazy people. But and like we, we had everything, which we, we so, so did not. not. <laughs> we so did not. While all the other kids were shopping at Limited 2, we were at like TJ Maxx, okay, in the Goodwill. So, <laughs> I mean, and that is the truth. Like, you know what I, I mean? You know. had the same car for like, for like you still drive the same I car. I drive you, a 2000. A yeah, a 2000, 2000 Land, Land Cruiser. Cruiser. Like, we didn't have all of this money. You know what I mean? We didn't have have all of the stuff that the producers made it while yes Tess and I were doing all the things that we were doing said we were doing in LA we were living like a double life in a facade and we didn't really have all of those nice things but um but we always had a heart I think just because we've been practicing well, I raised you guys in an, to be, in an amazing yes, spiritual yeah, practice. With Buddhism and um, earnest homes and the power of, of positive, positive thinking. thinking and all of these things like were spiritual truth that like we knew. So underneath, we were good people. We were just very hurt people and we were very dysfunctional people because none of us, my mom as kind of the matriarch, beginning had my mom done the amount of work that she's done today back then it would have been a completely different outcome right and so here's what i'd like to say about this whole manifesting thing and the the uh the spiritual the spirituality that i was even practicing back then it was in my head and out of my will i could manifest things but i was not manifesting from the conviction that that there is that within me that has already given to me and to all of its creation, these amazing things. And when we affirm that and we allow it to be revealed from us, instead of looking outside of us and willing it to to come to us from external sources, which is not sustainable, which is why Mm -hmm. we lost the house, which is why we lost the show, which is why when I was uh, 17 years old and I wanted to go work in Japan, I wrote affirmations and and I told myself I was going to be making a certain dollar amount. And I far exceeded that. And I got to Japan within three weeks uh, of starting my affirmation. And, but within four months I had lost everything back yeah. then as well. And now I know it's because nothing, none of these manifestating law of attraction things work 
in a sustainable way unless you're coming from the truth. Unless you're connected and the difference is manifesting from the conscious mind versus the subconscious. The ego, well, you could say ego versus truth or spirit or conscious mind, meaning the the human existence versus the the subconscious, the truth, the spirit, the alignment, the soul, the soul, the soul. The, that connection. So there is definitely, um, you know, when we're talking about manifestation, it's like, <laughs> sure, you might manifest that car, but you might not have it for very long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so because and we'll, we'll have a specialist on to talk about all of this because i think it's really wait really i am important. a specialist well i mean just an episode <laughs> just a full episode on like manifestation and on how in the first seven years of your life like your brain is programmed to think a certain way and so much of your um conscious mind comes into play after age seven and in order to tap into that that unconscious mind there's there's tips and tricks that you can do to to start you know diving into that so so we we manifested the show from our from a state of lack yes yes Mm -hmm. and i say this to evan all the time um whenever something goes wrong or someone's betrayed him or whatnot i said anytime you are dealing with people who operate from a state of lack watch out watch out because they will bite you in the they will stab you in the back and bite you in the ass and anytime you're operating from a state of lack oh i've got to fix this at work i've got to somehow blah 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 blah, blah. i need to pay payroll i need whatever it is for whomever if you're operating from a state of lack of consciousness you'll always be playing catch up exactly yeah so basically, so we're operating from a state of lack of consciousness, but we're like, we really are good people underneath and we like know that to be our truth and we want to help and we didn't know that it was going to end up looking like this. Well, what's so interesting is, is that we actually, part of that affirmation was, and as a result of my fame and notoriety and success in front of the camera. On- we didn't know it was going to be on the cover of the LA Times as a right arrest (laughs) and by the way all of their lives i used to say to them don't ever do anything that you don't want to show up on the front page of the la times and then look what happens (laughs) that was a perfect demonstration of manifesting yeah you manifested that for me mom i totally did i know hey you know what that's not the (laughs) only thing i manifested (laughs) for you honey i mean let's get real okay we could go into lots more where that where Mm -hmm. that uh, goes. But um, in any case, yeah, so we manifested the show. But the truth is, is that we declared that what we would do with that fame and fortune was to turn around and be able to help people. And we didn't know it, but here we are, as a result of that fame and not so much fortune, um, we are manifesting. Amen, sister. My fortune's coming though, bitch. You better know it. It's coming. No, I I already know that. For My sure. fortune is coming. No, your fortune. <laughs> your fortune. I have a has- wealth of so much in my life, you guys. My children, my relationship with my family, this podcast, my community, all of the things, you know, like define wealth. I'm a very wealthy person. Well, we can talk about that. Um, 
Yeah, it's but true. It's you true. are no, no, like, well, I have a wealth of amazing do. things happening in my life right now. Yeah, and you do. My bank account may not always represent always that. Represent that but but that's here's okay. the thing is that the more spiritually deep we dive into the truth that we are we have access to the law of abundance. It yes. is what it wants to manifest in us and through each one of us. But there's it, enough money for everybody. It, but money is just symbolic of of, of supply, yes. of supply. And if you look Amen. at the drops of water in the ocean or the stars in the sky, you know for sure there is nothing but supply. Ooh, mm. Amen, sister. Take it to church. Let's go. Take us to church. Well, I, you know, I Throwing am in my down. fourth year of a five-year ministerial program, which I completed once before in year 2000. But again, it was only stuck in my ego and in my logical mind. Yeah. It wasn't in my heart and in, in my truth. soul, yeah. which is where it is this time. So, I, so, okay. So fast forward. So we'll get into questions. People, every single question uh, that people sent on my Instagram was about Pretty Wild. And we will dive into that. But fast forward to... Um, to recovery. So so here is your daughter now like a twice convicted felon. How did you feel about that? <laughs> That's a <Yay>! loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh my gosh. And it wasn't even about you being a twice convicted felon. It was about me you. being the mother of a twice convicted felon. <gasps> I love felon. that you can admit that. I fully you admit that. I, I was so freaking... Yeah, it was all about you. It was. It, was, it wasn't about why <laughs> is my poor daughter sticking a needle in her arm. It's more like, why do I have to explain this to my father and my mother's sister and family and my next door neighbors? I, it, it was really... I was... I'm horrified at how incredibly self-centered and I don't know what like narcissistic I was um and now looking back I, and now that I work with families I'm like we need to ask our children or our loved ones tell me what do I need to do to help you what is what is it that you need from me not like how do I tell the neighbors that you're mm -hmm. a twice convicted felon or w the neighbors that are walking their kids to school while you're facing the garage door and there's 10 cops in the driveway <laughs> and you're handcuffed at age 17? Just wondering. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I was more concerned yeah. about what everybody else was thinking than what you needed. And I'm yeah. so ashamed that of carried, that. So that carried into my sobriety. Okay, you guys. So here I am. So I go to treatment. Thank God. I go to rehab and I'm actually doing all right. All all things considered, I'm doing I'm doing all right. You were amazing. Yes. Even though my mom was like trying to control who my therapist was and what meds I, I was on. I got kicked out of the treatment yeah, center. Yeah, she wasn't allowed to come anymore. That's I'm surprised right. I even stayed sober. I'm surprised you did too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Her advice to all of the parents out there is once your kid is in rehab, back the fuck up. <laughs> let the professionals mm. handle it, okay? You guys, let the professionals handle it. Okay, so the point is, 
Well, no, that's not my advice. My advice is yes, let the professionals handle it. But in the meantime, get a professional to help you handle Ooh, the, the belief yes, systems sister. and the, the navigating the, the next five, 10 years out of your life because this go. is not a let's get my loved one into treatment and everything's going to be okay because mm-hmm. it's not. It's a long journey and you're, you know, this, you're a part of this. You are part of this family system that needs support yeah. and help. And, and what's education. your part? And whoa. I'll tell you what my part was. It was huge. And most of the parents that I'm dealing with and spouses are are completely needing to take a deep breath and take a deep dive into a, a new way of, of looking at themselves and yeah. each other. Yeah. So I get sober. I am in treatment. Um, my treatment's kind of coming to an end. I'm entering into my relationship with Evan. And I can remember what. And I'm focused on when the hell are you getting a job and pay me back that 50000 that you girls stole from me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't responsible for all of that. But yeah. So my mom's like just just burning down, just trying to ruin my life. No, and, not intentionally. I not was intentionally, just so narcissistic. But you just were. It was all about you. It was. <laughs> it was all about you. And again, operating from a lack consciousness you were always afraid and paranoid about finances i was always because to you not being able how would i put this like especially in your marriage in your last marriage like if you weren't contributing you thought that what you brought to the table financially equated to like your value in the relationship Yes, because that's the way I was raised. Do you like those hard truths by Alexis Haynes? I love them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. I know. I'm glad that I can tell you that today. That just shows you how far our relationships come. (laughs) So I can remember I maybe, I think it was like just a couple of months pregnant with Harper. Yeah. And I started talking about a book deal. Mm -hmm. And I remember Evan starting to say things like you know your relationship with your mom is pretty codependent and like you're a grown woman now and we're gonna have a child and like I'm hustling over here like trying to make things work for us and like you know I don't really think that your mom should be your manager anymore and if you are gonna do a book which I'm really grateful back then that I didn't do it and I'm really grateful that I kind of like stayed out of the limelight and stayed in the shadows for as long as I did because I think that I probably would have had a needle back in my arm had I not yeah back then because I was still so new in recovery I was only like a year and a half maybe a little bit more maybe almost two years sober I'm so glad and so my mom I remember having to call my mom and I remember I was standing outside of our treatment center and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to call her and I'm going to tell her that she's going to have no part in this book and that she's not going to be my manager anymore. What was your reaction? Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) What do you mean? You ruined my life. You took everything. We had so much going for it. I mean, my, my internal monologue was horrifying yeah yeah i'm surprised that i that i even survived i'm surprised that that either one of us survived (laughs) don't make it about you it's about me i know (laughs) so okay then came the biggest betrayal that eventually led to 
my our healing right so like as if the world wasn't as if our relationship wasn't crumbling enough there was a big betrayal so I had already came clean about my sexual abuse and I told my family I'd kept that secret for what 18 19 years I didn't tell anybody about it I think I mentioned it well, Before we I got sober, shooting, yeah, we were shooting the yeah show, I mentioned it, that. yeah, and then, um, so I'm like six or seven months pregnant with Harper, and I'm really trying. I have so much of my own shame that I'm trying to show everybody, like I've got my life together. Like I've been starting a treatment center, and and we've got our own apartment, and everything's okay, and I've got my whole, you know, I'm like trying to prove to my family who very much so cares more about like your status and where you're at than like your emotional well-being well-being and so I'm trying to prove to like my uncle who's about to come in town with his wife and the kids and everybody like I've got it together everything's okay Mm -hmm. and as a response an unconscious response I will say that to my mom's feelings about me betraying her about her not being my manager anymore and me setting boundaries as an unconscious response to my early stages of boundary setting my mom told basically the family that like I wasn't being honest about my abuse yeah yeah and I, and it, there was a part of me that really didn't know that it was true at that time. I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, because like I said, I had seen the interactions on, you know, on occasion where I, it just didn't make any sense to me how that could have ever happened had it happened the way you said it did. And I didn't understand enough about the dynamics of the abuser and the victim at that time to, to understand that, of course, that would be like that. But regardless of if you didn't know or not, it's a really fucked up thing to, like, basically triangle me with everybody in the family around something that's, like, so huge. Because this abuse that took place when I was around four and a half to, like, seven years old, that included forcing, like, oral sex and lots of horrendous, heinous things... This was with a family member. And so the I can just remember like primal rage, eight months pregnant with Harper, just oh, just I the devastation and the pain of just like Yeah. You know, like you finally come clean about something that you've been holding in for so long and then now this totally disregarded and and beyond disregarded it is triangled like you said and turned against you which was a horrifying thing for me to do and I was completely unconscious and and it was completely uh just crazy I don't I don't you know I don't I don't know how I could have not been more sensitive except that I was in so much pain. I was in my third divorce and my whole world was falling apart. Well, you weren't divorced yet. I was, my marriage was ending. Mm-hmm. I was in my third marriage ending and I had lost everything myself or it felt like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a very traumatic time for for you, 
and uh, I didn't make it any better by by not getting the help I needed so that I could be more supportive of what you needed. I had no recovery, zero at that point. Yeah. Thank God for Evan. Okay, so let's talk about how Evan kind of catapulted you into recovery. That was amazing. I remember being downstairs in the kitchen. Jerry had left, and you guys were living in the the house with me with a new baby, and um, I was falling apart, and Evan said to me, you know, Andrea, you are the common denominator. Wait, wait, hold on. (laughs) What? (laughs) Back up. I had started writing for Vice Magazine, and I wrote kind of about what a fucked up parent you were, and you were freaking out about your reputation. Then you started getting into it with Evan, and Evan is a stoic, you guys. Evan does not deal with, he'll brush off little backhanded comments and whatever the fuck else. He doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And my mom came at him one morning. In the kitchen and I, was oh, like, I, I know you're responsible for. I don't remember. Yeah. The, I don't remember it being in that order, but it doesn't matter. I so was, he was very upset with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're going to go publicly talk about your mom? Oh, how about if I publicly go talk about what people don't know about you? And I was like, still so un- unhealthy at that time. And I but did. What, I said, what you said to Evan is exactly what your what? words were. And he, re- he recalls this. You were like, do you know what my reputation is? And he just let you have it. I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, and he did not let me have it in, in a, an in a bad way. He no. just laid it out all on the table. He said, "You are the common denominator here, and you <laughs> need help. And here's the lady's name. Go see her." <laughs> and thank God, because she, well, he ended up really saving my life. I yeah. mean, I I went and studied with Dr. Pat Allen for three years. I I was just. Um, well, she beat me over the head with a six by six um, mm-hmm. every week for for th- for a year and a half, and then I went and continued to study with her so that I could teach what she teaches, which is how to be in a healthy relationship and how to communicate in a way that is logical and rational and not emotional, and to stop being narcissistic and how to be healthy in, yeah. in relationships and so thank so God. that kind of catapulted us into like the family recovery and what i always it takes one person to get sober for you know what i mean and then hopefully the rest of the family falls in line and if you're a sober person out there like you by setting boundaries and taking care of yourself and putting yourself first that's the only shot that your family is going to have at getting better. Like if you remove yourself from the dynamic and from the system and just start bettering yourself and then hopefully everybody else will do the work, but it's not certainly not a linear experience and it's certainly no guarantee that, you know what I mean? And that's what the work that my mom is talking about with families, like she really saw a need for, for, you know, so these kids come into rehab with us and then the parents are still crazy and then the kids end up relapsing. Right, exactly. I mean, it was such a blessing that Evan was part of of your life at that time because he was such a strong person for Mm -hmm. you to hold on to. And that's what we as family members need to be while our loved ones are in treatment. We need to be that person who also gets strong and gets healthy so that like 
unlike me, when Alexis was in recovery, I mean, she was in recovery for two years before I started really digging deep uh, as a result of Evan's <laughs> intervention on me. And But he was there for her. And I think that he's a huge part of why you're sober today. And And if I had been a better, healthier mom, then I could have been that, you know, to you and or Tess. And so I'm just saying that in terms of being a family member, while your loved ones are in treatment, your job is to become a healthy person, a healthy, a non-emotional uh, person. Uh, not that you can't a have stoic, <laughs> a stoic essentially. Well, yeah, to be rational yes. and and not shaming. Our the thing that's running through our kids' heads and our loved ones' head is, I am not okay. Those are the that's the message they have that's playing on replay every day. And our job as a family member is to contradict that, not contribute to it. Mm -hmm. And I contributed to it repeatedly because I was so unhealthy. I shamed them, I judged them, I blamed them. And I didn't take any responsibility. And that's that's a, a cocktail for disaster in terms of, of having a loved one who can remain in recovery. I'm eight years sober. We're sitting down on my couch. You know, we've done like the reunion episode. We're obviously healthier. We're in a better place. I usually f wrap episodes with Would You Rather's, but um, because you are such a special guest, I did questions, audience questions. Okay. So... Um, try to keep them short answers so we can answer a couple. Okay. Um, so at what point, um, did you realize that Tess and I were on drugs? Gosh, there were different points in different levels because at one point, you know, I was smelling something that smelled like burnt coconut, which apparently was black tar, but no, 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 that was the Oxycontin. Okay. Yeah. Well, in, thank you for that. <laughs> Wait a second. Clarifying. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I was like, oh, well, they're just experimenting. They'll be fine. I'll just tell them to stop because they're going to get in trouble. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is even logical or reasonable. I had no idea what I was dealing with. Okay. Uh huh. But eventually. Yeah. yeah, it was it was when we were filming. We were she realized, but then she didn't handle it well at all. So it just became like, "What the fuck are you doing?" All the time. It was. I thought if they just knew how pissed off I was getting, that and somehow we would get sober. That made us want to get loaded ten times more. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so she figured it out while we were recording. Describe your role as grandma. How often do you see the kids now, etc. I I see the kids at least once a week, sometimes more, and it's usually for a couple of hours. Sometimes I take them to dance classes, and sometimes I'm just giving Alexis and Evan a break. But um, I absolutely am crazy about being a grandmother. I love having conversations with Harper about really cool, important stuff, like mm -hmm. knowing who she is as a, as a soul, not just a little yeah. human person princess <laughs> i mean but it wasn't always that way you kind of stepped into your role as grandma when harper was like about three two and a half three yeah because i was still really unhealthy and yeah. and i was working diligently i mean i spent 18 hours a month for three years working with a therapist and a mentor uh life coach mm. to get well yeah so she's a great grandma now and the kids love her very very much um what what would you redo 
in regards to your parenting and, 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 and raising us? Just make it quick. I know we kind of went over this, but it was like a repeat question, and I just want to make sure people really feel like they got an answer. Well, I wish that I would have recognized that I had very low self-esteem and, and a lot of self-loathing as an adult because I just didn't have any reason not to have self-esteem and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. I had left home when I was 14 and didn't have parents that tried to keep me there. So why would I feel good about myself? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, I needed help. I needed to go to therapy. I needed, And instead, I was focused on everybody else's drama, like fixing mm-hmm. other people and not having to look at my own crap. But when I finally looked at my own crap and went, holy shit, I'm, you know, I'm a mess, that's when I began to rebuild my life. And I wish I would have done that before I even had kids. Yes. I I just, I look at like our world and the people in it and, and everything that we're hearing in the news. And I talk about this often, like it starts with mothers and it starts with motherhood um, and do the work. And I remember telling this to like several of my friends, do all of the work, get into therapy before you get pregnant, before you have kids, because you won't have time in those first several years. And then before you know it, it's too late because in those first five years, that's really when they're shaped into you know, little human beings. I would say read every Brene Brown book and, yes. and then become a mom. Yes. Read every, we talk about her in every episode, <laughs> Brene, you better come on my podcast one day, girlfriend, and, d- please. Wait a minute. I just have to put, say that I am going to get certain certified in the Daring Way program from Brene so Brown exciting. this year. So exciting. I know. It's the last year she's teaching it. Ugh, jealous. Um, last thing. Everyone's <laughs> talking about your skin. What is your secret? Wow. Thank you for asking. Just, you do. You're like turning 56. Right. And your skin does look amazing. That's very nice of you to say. Because I'm certainly a lot more critical. She's so hypercritical about herself, you guys. Well, that's because I used to work in front of the camera. And it's kind of hard to look at yourself and go, I don't look like that anymore. Um, um, sorry, but do? for a 56-year-old woman, you look pretty bomb. Oh, thank you. Um, I have an amazing lady that I go see who does this laser called Clear and Brilliant, which I love. Yeah, shout out to Carla Hops. Love you, Carla. Um, <laughs> Thank God for lasers, you guys. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but I do use um, I use a product called Hangover RX. It's a spray. That thing, that stuff is so mm-hmm. good. It's like a humectant, I think. Is you can get that at Sephora. Love that stuff. Um, and I use serums. I use a, a what is it? A stem cell serum. And an ultra really rich moisturizer at night. And she just hydrates. She uses the serums. She gets the laser. She occasionally gets the Botox. And she's very genetically blessed, y'all. So just keeping it real over here. Um, Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Mama. And I hope you guys love this episode. And if you do, please like and subscribe and review. And if you want to follow my mom on Instagram, what is it? It's Andrea Arlington. It's at Andrea Arlington. And also check out my website, Families United for Recovery. Yes. That's so important. And I do have a free Zoom call on on, uh, Tuesday nights at 6.30 Pacific Standard Time to get people's questions asked about how they can help their loved ones. And the link for that is on my Instagram at Andrea Arlington. 
There you go. There you have it. And so it is. And so it is. This week's affirmation is, I flow easily with new experiences, new challenges, and new people who enter my life.